Hello, everybody, and happy Monday. Welcome to Unapologetic Live. Today, we're going to be talking about the Young Turks coming after Dennis yet again in a very angry Anna Kasparian, which is how we know her these days, which is so wild. Plus, is Gen Z hurting America a little bit? We saw what happened in the midterms, and it seems as though Gen Z voters are largely leaning blue. Plus, we're going to have some TikTok-sparked conversations. Let's get into it. And we're back. Happy Monday. Guys, I was sort of all over the place last week. I flew to Columbus, Ohio to start filming a documentary project that I'm working on for PragerU. So I was there for like four or five days out of the week last week and then flew home on Friday morning uh, and then ended up going to our gala last night, Saturday night. I mean, Sunday, Saturday night, not last night. uh, And watching Jordan Peterson speak at our annual gala, which was just fantastic. Got to meet him. And he was so nice. The king of the lobsters himself. The king of the lobsters. And he was in a a reddish suit. So it was very fitting. And he was so kind. It was like half (laughs) red and half blue. Little chaos and order going on. Yes, there was. There was. And I have a picture of that on the community post. If you guys want to go and check it out on our community page here on YouTube. Plus it's on Instagram. You guys should be following me on Instagram as well. Because I put some some fire content on my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, let's get into this new attack on Dennis Prager from the Young Turks. The Young Turks is obsessed with Dennis, apparently. They like love to go through his videos and try to find moments that they can go and attack. And apparently they found this moment where Dennis was talking about female versus male sexuality and in particular homosexuality. So we're going to get into it. Let's see what Dennis has to say. Let's see what the Young Turks have to say. And if there's anything that requires critique. Female homosexual is a much more complex issue because female sexuality can go in all directions. Okay. Interesting. That's Dennis Prager sharing uh, his intelligence on how, you know, how human sexuality works. Apparently, it's different based on what your gender is. Curious about that. It was one whole sentence. So I'm also curious about that. What a short clip. Hopefully, we're going to add some more uh, context to, to that because I don't know what you could say is possibly wrong with that one sentence because he didn't really state anything. Now, uh, he's got more to say, so why don't we look at that video in more context oh, perfect. and we'll discuss. Awesome. John in Chardon, Ohio says homosexuals are born that way and they're children of God. They certainly are children of God. And I think uh, male homosexuals uh, are largely born that way. I don't think mm-hmm. that it's uh, genetic, but it might be hormonal in the womb. Female homosexuals is a much more complex issue because female sexuality can go in all directions. Some are indeed like that, but many are not. That's why you hear often of actresses who say, oh, now I'm gay, and then they end up 10 years later marrying a man. You don't see that with gay men. Okay. I'm trying to think about this. I can't think of an actress that has like gone back and forth off the top of my head, although I know there's probably several examples. I mean, you guys all hear the stories of like girls in college who they make out with girls at the bar, but then they have their boyfriend or whatever. And certainly living in L.A., uh, several of the women that I've met talk about exploring their sexuality in, in every which way. And it is certainly something that I think 
society places far less pressure on women for. As a woman, it's it's much more acceptable for you to go and explore your sexuality. And in reality, a lot of men actually find it attractive when women explore their sexuality. So you have that to contend with as well. With men, it is not seen as particularly attractive to explore your your sexuality. But also, I haven't heard of a lot of men coming out as gay and then going back and saying, oh, I'm straight. Have you, Taylor? I've not heard of it. I've not heard of that. <laughs> I've heard noted of women expert doing on it. this matter. No, no, uh, no that, I haven't heard of that. I have heard of, you know, there's like the married woman who will become a lesbian or the lesbian who will become non-binary nowadays, whatever that means. Right. But, you know, so I guess if you had to say there's slightly more fluidity, fluidity around these matters on the female side, that seems to ring true. Sure. Um, but I think that's also to your point of like, uh, once you're kind of out there as a man, um, if you're with homosexuality, it's like that you're you're culturally, I guess, you're perceived to be more burning the bridge than uh, on the mm-hmm. woman's side because men will be like, oh, you were you had this phase. There's no like stigma attached to that socially. Right. Um, where with for women, but there is kind of for men of like women wouldn't in generally speaking, at least historically speaking, uh, the average woman would be less attracted to a man who's like experimented with homosexuality more so sure. than the average man would be less attracted to a woman who has done so. But I'm like, I'm still not seeing what's wrong with what Dennis said. It's, it's valid questions to ask or like things to bring up. Right. Know? As somebody who sits and thinks about things, why would you not think about the subject of sexuality and whether or not there is a difference between genders? It's not like he stated uh, a, an aversion to people who said that they're homosexual. He hasn't made any Judgments. sort of yeah derogatory statement, judgment nothing he's just exploring the idea and how it could be different among the two different genders so i'm still curious to see what the criticism is here could it be that society is a lot more friendly toward women who might want to experiment with their sexuality yes and not so friendly toward men who might want to experiment with their sexuality is it possible yeah so if a guy comes out and uh says turns out i'm gay it's because they've determined this is what my sexuality is. This is how I was born, and this is I'm comfortable identifying this way. Whereas with women, if they experiment and people know about it, they're not later judged if it turns out <laughs> no, I'm straight and I want to marry someone of a different gender. Sure. Okay. What she's saying, none of this is particularly false. I do disagree with her premise of like sexuality and women going and dating other women and then going, no, I'm straight. Well, are you? (laughs) Because you did find a woman who you were attracted to and you did go and date that woman and you did have some sort of chemistry with that woman. So uh, what what, what does it mean to put the label of of straight back on that experience that you had? Uh, So I'm, I'm just confused here about the point that she's getting at. And this whole point that she made about people being born a particular way. I I get the argument that people make there. They use the phrasing of born that way to say to say that it's something that cannot be changed. And we can go back and forth about whether or not that that's true or not. And by no means do I feel it's necessary to try and convince anybody of what they're attracted to, because whatever you're attracted to is what you're attracted to. That's not going to change. If you're a guy that that says to me, oh, I'm, I'm attracted to men. So far, I've only dated men. Sure. I don't I don't care. Whatever. 
that that would be true because so far you've only ever been uh, attracted to men. So who am I to say what your attraction is? But to label yourself as that and now say, I am this and I am this forever and I was born this way. It's just uh, for, for both sides of the aisle, for straight or, or gay or whatever, I just don't feel the need to, to put this in, in a category. And as, as Taylor was sort of stating earlier, it just makes you part of a group, I guess. It's just what we use to put ourselves in groups. Yeah, it's the, the, the weird part of this whole conversation. Like, I get, I get bored with these conversations because it feels like everyone's just trying to dunk on each other. And most of it's pretty right. irrelevant. Right. Um, but it's the, the inclination to, I experience this type of attraction, therefore I'm immediately in this identity category. And then if I'm in this identity category, then it's all of a sudden this, you get into the power dynamics and oppression and all this stuff. And you're, it's, it's a very like, you know, like it's ironic to me too that for people of sort of on the left side of the aisle <clears throat> love to talk about how gender's fluid and there's all this fluidity or fluidity around sexuality, but then all of a sudden everything's very rigid. You're born this way, blah 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 blah. Right. Uh, on the other side, and but the biggest thing with her response here is that it, Dennis was just talking about the the facts and the studies and the science around where about human sexuality yeah, just in an idea yeah yeah and he's just raising some facts around a topic or some research around it that he's mm -hmm. familiar with and that's immediately interpreted as this patriarchal oppressive effort to right. impose his worldview on people and you can't even speak about topics or speak about studies or research that um that she's immediately assuming that he's calling in things into question, then she's kind of putting an argument in his mouth and refuting that argument that he's not right. even making. And if you notice, what she said was actually pretty consistent with what I said Yeah. before. So I think if you would just sit down and have a conversation about these things, you'd probably find that you agree on quite a lot. But she interprets Dennis as being inherently antagonistic simply by virtue of being who he is, which just doesn't make sense. Well, let's keep watching. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that we potentially could talk about. Uh, to be clear, he doesn't care. <laughs> um, care about what? So people aren't just either straight or gay. They could be bi, they could be a whole bunch of different things. And the percentage of each gender identity that has a particular sexual identity doesn't necessarily have to be constant across gender identities. It could be that there are differences between men going and women, genetic differences or behavioral differences or social acceptance differences and those sorts of things. Which is exactly what Dennis just said. There could be distinct differences between men and women in the way that they express their sexuality. So you just restated exactly what he said, but you threw some leftist buzzwords like uh, gender identity in there. <laughs> That's it. Um, it's 100% true that, as you said, the, the response is different. Um, but, but also, like, even a willingness to identify yourself, for instance, as bi. Men who call themselves bi are not treated the same as women who call themselves bi, which definitely is going to influence a person's willingness to identify in that way. But more important than any of this, which is interesting sure. societally and in terms of anthropology and genetics and all that. Who cares what the reason is? Let people smash who they want to smash and leave them alone. When did he go to try to harm people or inject himself in their lives? He's simply exploring an idea. It's so strange to me that in modern society, you're not allowed to sit and explore an idea, which is what men and women alike have obsessed themselves with for all of human history. 
sitting down and exploring the philosophy that is behind ideas or, or the innate characteristics behind the different genders and how they express themselves and how the world works. Simply sitting down and asking yourself why is a really important thing to do on any subject matter and is something that is worth consuming your time with. So what is wrong with him having this discussion it doesn't speak to his opinion on the matter, what he thinks people should do with her li their lives. He's simply saying we're observing this in our civil society, and I wonder why it's happening. And I wonder if there's any differences between the two sexes on this. What's so harmful about that? Do you not want answers to those questions? If that's not something that consumes you or that you think about, then that's fine. Why can't it be something that somebody else is wondering about? Could Dennis Prager just treat gay people's sexuality the way gay people treat his? They are not interested remotely. They don't want to know anything about it. The less heard, the better. What is. Are you joking? Are you joking? <laughs> like, there are several people. Where did the term heteronormative come from? When did we start talking about that? It's because we had uh, groups on the progressive left labeling people who are heterosexual as heteronormative and talking about a whole a whole culture surrounding heteronormativity and, and gay studies and pride and human sexuality. So we're sort of all concerned with the way that the human brain works and how society functions and how cultures are shaped and shifted. To, to say that we, everybody stays in their own lane and we don't step into other conversations just to wonder or think about it is ridiculous. Of course not. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and he's, he's, Dennis is a guy doing a radio show and someone asks his opinion on or for his thoughts, perspective about human sexuality. He refers to some research or study about the topic mm -hmm. and then these people go out of their way saying, Dennis Prager, why are you pushing your, your ideas? No one's interested in your sexuality. And why are you trying to impose your strict worldview on all these people? Why do you care? Why do you? And it's like, it's like Dude, you care. You're the ones who went out of your way to like find this clip <laughs> that's pretty uh, you know, innocuous from his show and yeah. just read all this stuff into it. And you're arguing against arguments that he's not making and freaking out on his show, claiming that he's freaking out. It's like, right. give me a break. Dennis is just like, yo, I just calmly answered a question from a viewer that's right. legit it. So i just work here yeah <laughs> gosh wild sir this is a wendy's yeah exactly <laughs> difference if it's genetic or behavioral if it's a random choice that you change or you stick with it you can't keep looking for reasons to be able to strip people's human rights away Wait, what <laughs> that Where? escalated quickly it did escalate quickly where did he say that and are you telling me you you would not be concerned about the idea of whether or not human sexuality is genetic or behavioral? That is the the question of of genetic meaning, you know, nature versus behavioral meaning nurture has consumed human beings since we've been alive. That has been the question we've been asking ourselves. Does this all come naturally to us by virtue of being born? Or is it something that is nurtured upon us based on our environment and our experiences? Why would you not be able to ask the same questions when it comes to sexuality or gender? These are just curious things to, to think about. It's so wild. It doesn't matter if it's hormonal in the womb or genetic, or they just got curious in college, they deserve the same rights. That's so incredibly simple. Where did he say they don't? 
Yeah, my uh, philosophy on life is that I don't care about yours. Um, and when I say I don't care about yours, I, I'm not talking about your actual life, like living, breathing life. I, I specifically mean who you love, who you're sleeping with, like how you identify gender wise, I don't care. I just don't. I want you to be treated equally to everyone else. I don't want you to be discriminated against based on those things. Outside of that, I don't think about it at all. Do you think about maybe that biological men could identify as women and be placed in female prisons, which is happening in the United States of America? Would maybe then would you concern yourself with that? If you had a bunch of women getting pregnant while being imprisoned in this country from biological men being placed in female facilities, would you then be concerned about that? If grown men uh, under the guise of changing their gender identity were walking into female portions of, of spas while mothers and daughters were trying to have a nice Saturday and exposing their genitalia to women, would you then be concerned about that? You can make a blatant statement about how you don't care about how people identify and who they love and uh, you know who they lay in bed with. And I understand the sentiment that is expressed there, and that is totally fine. But you also have to acknowledge that when people do say they care and they are inserting themselves, people like Dennis Prager, Matt Walsh, JK Rowling, it's for a reason. And it's because they are actual victims of the way our culture is treating these issues. And that is not to say that you then hate trans people or are transphobic or you're denying somebody their gender identity it is simply to say whoa 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 somebody's gotten hurt here and as a society we sort of have a duty to our citizens to decide whether or not this is the right way to go about it so to just throw everything up in the air and say well i don't care and how could you possibly care about these things is disingenuous because there are reasons to care whether you are on the left, whether you're in the center, whether you're on the right or whether you don't identify as anything at all, there are reasons to care. At all, I just don't because it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't have any bearing on my day-to-day -day life. In fact, it has no bearing on my day-to-day -day life to be a decent person who shows love, respect and compassion to others. It's so interesting to, to like hear this argument, okay. Let's 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 take a left-leaning issue that people are super concerned about right now, like abortion. You could look at somebody like Anna Kasparian and say, "Well, Anna, I mean, you're you're probably educated on having safe sex. You're probably educated on your your options as far as contraceptives and all these things. Abortion's not going to affect you. So why do you care? I don't care about abortion because it won't personally affect me. You see how that doesn't make sense, right? because it does affect other people who are outside of my scope. And there is a reason that people debate the issue of abortion back and forth, even though it won't personally affect them. There's a reason why women in their 80s who are well out of the age range for having children go and vote and talk about their support of something like Roe v. Wade, even though the issue doesn't affect them technically. Because effects range and they don't have to affect you personally in your day-to-day -day life for you to care about the issue and to care about other people who might be affected by it. And it's exactly an argument that Anna Kasparian would make in support of abortion, but she can't seem to make that connection when she's talking about Dennis right now. I can't imagine sitting around obsessing over the sex lives of complete strangers as much as conservatives do. <sighs> yep. It is the creepiest thing. It is the weirdest thing, but that is what they do. I have never seen a group of people be more 
obsessed with like presenting themselves as individuals who sit around thinking about the genitals of children all day. Yep. What? It's just like such a big disingenuous jump. I don't know. You know, people watch this and they call this news. And they, they get their information from somebody like this. And again, I don't care that she's left-leaning. That is that is really of no concern to me, so long as you are actually advocating for your side in a way that is not disingenuous. And this is utterly disingenuous to, con- to uh, assume that somebody is completely consumed with others' sexuality after a caller called into his radio show and directly asked him about sexuality and obsessed with children's genitals. What are you talking about? Are you saying that conservatives are are worried that children might undergo surgery that does mutilate their bodies? If you said that, yeah, you would be saying something that's actually real, actually factual and actually based in reality. But to twist it and say they're obsessed with children's genitals, like, come on now, at least try a little bit, a little bit. You, you don't have to go and be completely baseless. You could have made way so many other claims that are actual critiques of what people are saying on this side of the aisle. But you had to jump to that obsession with children's genitals. You guys are creepy. Do you not understand how creepy that is? Okay, I have no interest in getting involved in the personal lives of parents and the relationships that they have with their children and the decisions that they make together about what would be best for the children's lives. Okay, that is up to the parents, that is up to their doctors, that is up to them. The government has no business involved in any of that, okay? We as private citizens have no business in any of that. In fact, nothing gets under my skin more than hearing people say annoying judgmental things about parents. Okay. Let's break this down. So uh, clearly she is talking about parents who are deciding to transition their children to a different gender. She's saying that the government has no place in that in that debate and private citizens have no place in that debate. And clearly this is contingent upon having fundamentally different worldviews as it pertains to gender. Okay, I believe that people are born the sex they're born as. I do think gender dysphoria is a very real and harmful thing that people under undergo and people feel, and it's an affliction that they have. Uh, however, I do think we have social contagion and people are saying that they feel these things because they've been socially influenced to feel that way. But let's use another example. I think that what parents do to their children when it comes to transitioning their gender, uh, in, in much of the research on this, shows exactly this. It's a form of Munchausen by proxy. And for those of you who don't know what Munchausen by proxy syndrome is, it's when an, uh, a person is influenced to believe they have a certain illness uh, by someone outside of themselves. So it could be a parent, a peer, a friend, anything like that. And that parent, peer, friend tells that person, you have this illness, you have this affliction, we must get it treated, or we must treat you as if you have this thing, okay? And that's exactly what's happening with children who are being transitioned to different genders. Of course, there are some cases of children that truly experience gender dysphoria, but a lot of this is social contagion, as I said before. If you had a group of parents in the United States, uh, and, and quite a large group, we're talking thousands at this point, who were lobbying the government, telling the government that their child has, I don't know, cancer, 
let's throw out any random disease, you name it. And they say, excuse me, my child has cancer and I want my child to undergo chemotherapy. And you look into it, you talk to the child, the child's convinced they have cancer, but by every uh, biological marker and by every scientific indicator, the kid does not have cancer. Are we then supposed to have doctors put thousands of kids through chemotherapy because their parent says they have cancer? Absolutely not. And if thousands of kids were being placed on chemotherapy because their parents simply said they had cancer, it would be a human rights issue that would be brought to the highest court of this country. And people would be up in arms about kids who cannot advocate for themselves undergoing chemotherapy. Now switch cancer for gender confusion and gender dysphoria and switch chemotherapy for getting your boobs cut off as a young girl or boys getting mutilated and women getting mutilated and being put on puberty blockers and hormone replacement therapy. Is that any different? Is that not a a violation of, of these kids' lives, of their livelihoods, of their medical health and wellness? Of course it is. And that's the lens that we should be viewing this through. To just blindly say that parents should be able to do whatever they want to their children and have thousands of children undergo these medical procedures uh, and, and find out they regret it later and have irreversible damage from it is not honest. It's not with integrity. It's not anything that's good for a society. And even if you support trans kids, you should want the best form of treatment for them. And it's certainly not medical transitioning. Anyways, that's my spiel. I'll get off the soapbox. Because being a parent is so incredibly hard and no one understands their children better than they do. So I would love it if this slow talking, fuddy duddy man just stay out of the personal decisions that these families make for themselves. That's it, that's all it is, that's the whole game. And no, your gender doesn't have an impact on on whether your sexuality is fluid or not. Society does though. Acceptance toward the gay community has Where's where's her basis for saying that your gender has no correlation whatsoever to sexuality? Have the, has this been widely studied? Cuz I'm not familiar with the studies on that and they're they're very well maybe, but I would love to hear them. To just make a statement because it makes you feel a certain way is not factual, it is not correct. And I'm not coming here and saying that the two different genders or sexes, I should say, express their sexuality differently because I don't know that. I have not read any study or research that says that they do. But to come out and say the opposite with no evidence whatsoever is just as wrong. It's a huge impact on whether or not they're comfortable, you know, experimenting with their sexuality or coming out with what their sexuality is. but. He wouldn't know that, would he? Because he's like literally one of the most out of touch people in media I've ever experienced. Is he though? I was. The irony. Dennis for, okay, one of the most out of touch. Regardless of how you feel about Dennis's personal beliefs, the man spends hours every single day like reading the news, reading what's happening, and every single weekday for three hours sits on radio and talks to the American people as they call in to express their own personal issues, be that with family, lifestyle, economics, history, uh, anything, you name it. Is out of touch really the best 
best phrase to describe Dennis Prager? But he is out of touch with her progressive sensibilities, which right. is precisely the problem. He's right. in he's more in touch with real people and reality and biology yeah. and science. And she's more in touch with progressive orthodoxy, which you gives you the freedom to uh, spew that as confidently as, you know, like I always say, it's the confidence for me. It's like you, right. c- you can just run with that everywhere and no one will ever question you. But I, th- I find it interesting too the irony that uh, for for all that progressives like to think of themselves as like forward thinking, uh, they're, they're often behind on the times. And speaking of just today, the New York Times finally came out with an article calling into question uh, the health of puberty blockers and said hmm. uh, they pause puberty, but is there a cost? And there's they're getting a lot of heat on Twitter from the right who's like, yeah, we've been saying this for literally years now right. and you're just now getting there. And we saw the same thing happened with like the everyone's oh we should have a pandemic amnesty because we all didn't know uh there it's like you have an ideological view that you run with mm-hmm. get way out over your skis on and it causes all this harm and then two years later whenever the harm that you've caused there's an irrefutable documentation and evidence of it now it's like okay i guess we'll put it in our publications and we'll kind of like just quietly right. sweep everything all the harm that's been done and sweep that under the rug and uh, then sort of come back to terms with reality. Right. And that, that's not progressive. Right. So when we say, no, you guys did this. Well, no, look at that article we wrote. Look at that article we wrote in November 2022. We said that there it was questionable uh, because we found that out. And with it, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know whether or not puberty blockers hurt kids, but maybe we should wait till we find that out. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say, I don't know whether or not this child is experiencing gender dysphoria. And we can figure that out. <laughs> it's not discriminatory to say, I don't know. I was watching his show with, he does a show with this woman. I forget what her name is. Uh, Julie Hartman. And I love Julie. So if Anna Kasparian comes for Julie, we're going to have a problem. Not a personal problem because Anna Kasparian refuses to come on the show. But she'd much rather scour through hours of Dennis speaking to find something that she can pick apart and very poorly uh, instead of, coming face-to-face and talking to people. But that's all right. Anyways, don't come after Julie. Speaking of creepy and weird, by the way, she's like, I find all this stuff creepy and weird. I find it creepy and weird that you're like scouring through hours of Dennis Prager show footage and watching his side podcast with Julie uh, just to find things to take out of context and straw man argument about. It's just unbelievable. And it never works. It's never actually like, it's always baseless. Yeah, it was weird. She had a whole argument that he didn't make. And yeah, we're this is like, multiple times that we've done this now. And we actually invited her on the show show, to have an honest conversation about, uh, you know, violence and criminality and things like that because she tweeted some stuff that was in the same wheelhouse. And it was like, no, don't want to have a real conversation. Just want to watch clips, obsessively watch clips and take them out of the context. We literally reached out to her and said, Anna, I think we agree on this issue because she was tweeting a lot about crime. Come on the show. And from two different perspectives, we'll talk about this issue. And she goes, absolutely not. I hate PragerU and they're garbage human beings and I will never speak to any of them. And then had Dennis Prager on and... That didn't go so well for her either. So now I think she's coming back in full force to try to find some way to attack this man. Um, I was like, sure, why not? Let's let's see what they're up to today. So I was watching their episode from yesterday. Dennis Prager was losing his mind over Obama's campaign slogan, hope and change. Because he's like, did it ever occur to him that maybe we don't need to change America? Yet he was an avid supporter of Make America great again, Donald Trump, right? First of all, avid supporter, uh, put, the, put a question mark next to that. I'm not too familiar, but I've like, I don't know that I've ever heard Dennis fully endorse uh, 
Donald Trump in like an avid way. But I don't know. So again, I don't know. Comfortable saying I don't know on that one. But also, make America great again. Let's think about the phrasing of that of that uh, slogan. Make America great again. Again is a very important word. It means we're going to go back to something that we were doing before. Revert. Essentially try to conserve what was being done before. Hope and change. Change is a very important word. Change does not mean revert back. Change means move forward to something else. (laughs) (laughs) To like to like listen to those two slogans and go hope and change. Well, you like to make America great again. That means the same exact thing when they mean utterly different things. Yeah, just such a like. There's no way to stand by that argument if you actually followed the logic of it. So that must've just been something you said in the moment. And if you actually thought about it, you wouldn't say it again because that's just a horrible argument. Right. Do something again and change something are two different things. We'll work on that though. Right. Right. It's the the confidence for me. It's the confidence for me. (laughs) Cognitive dissonance is incredible. The creepiness, like the brazen over creepiness of the right wing and their obsession with the sex lives of complete strangers, also incredibly creepy. What? Yet they turn around and they accuse what, the left? Of having all sorts of weird perversions. Maybe that's why it's so easy for them to project on the grade school teachers and assume I'd like they've to got to be on interested nothing. in the like, kids. Stay, stay in your room, yeah, okay? I, like they're, mm. just, they're just weird and creepy. And but of course, all by design. Those weird conservative yeah. shop teachers who are going be, in with giant fetish gear in their right. uh, classrooms and pushing that on kids. Those you know. weird conservatives that were at those pride parades that I went to when I was a kid in Orlando that were literally throwing condoms out to the children and and wearing prosthetic genitalia and speedos and stripping and twerking on pride parade floats. So freaking creepy and weird, those conservatives. Mm. My gosh, it was so weird. You know, those like conservative teachers that are putting pornographic images in children's library books so that when they open them, they're talking about gay intercourse and things like that. Those weird, weird conservatives. Mm. Such a creepy Karen who views politics through those lenses. If you're thinking about kids' penises and if you're thinking about whether women are more fluid or whatever then you're probably not thinking about why your pay isn't keeping up with the cost of living and why you're probably not going to be able to retire until you're 85 and why you might be thrown out of your house if you have a medical emergency <gasps> what a non sequitur like what a huge jump i you know what i like to do with these arguments and it's very clear they they're using this argument of saying you're you're obsessed with kids genitalia because it it sounds salacious to say something like that. It's 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 good to to label the other side that way to make them sound as creepy and as weird as possible. But if young children uh, at the behest of their parents were getting their fingers chopped off and saying this is how I identify now and this is the step that I need to take to to assume the identity that I view myself as and we were having children at the ages of 14, 15 uh, getting their fingers chopped off and they were walking around with no fingers would you say conservatives are so obsessed with children's fingers? No, because it doesn't sound as salacious as saying conservatives are so obsessed with boys' penises, right? It just makes you feel good to say something like that when actually what you should be saying is conservatives are very obsessed with the fact that children might be undergoing unnecessary medical procedures, irreversible medical procedures that harm them hormonally, 
mentally for the rest of their lives. Sterilization. Sterilization. Literally sterilized. They will never be able to have kids uh, in, in the form and in the sex that they were born as, ever, if they undergo the process to the fullest extent. Conservatives are concerned about that, yeah. You could be too. Now, let's get into uh, this midterm Glad that's over. thing that's going on. Yeah, it's over. We're, we're moving <laughs> on from that. Anna, hit me up. You can be on the show if you want, although um, I don't know if you'll ever do it. Now, the next article here is how Gen Z held off the red wave from time.com. Everybody's pretty concerned about this, I think. You know, if you watch any bit of Fox News for the past two months, you've heard about the red wave, the red tsunami, the red tide, and everything was going to flip red during the midterms, and it didn't, that didn't happen. Uh, it stayed, I would say, pretty even keeled across the board, nearly of 50-50. We won some, some big wins and, and had some big losses as well. But a lot of this is due to voter turnout among young people and Gen Z in particular. Says the data is still coming in nationally, but from what we know, Gen Zers sustained their record-breaking 2018 turnout uh, during the 22 midterm elections. So yeah, Gen Z showed out in full force uh, during the 2018 election. And now in 2022, and during the midterms, they have done so again. And uh, we have some little facts on this here from an article out of fastcompany.com. Gen Z goes to Congress. So Maxwell Alejandro Frost is a 25-year-old Democrat who won his election in Florida. And it's so interesting because I think when I was on the left, I did a speech at the March for Our Lives in Florida after Parkland happened. And I believe uh, Maxwell was there and we, we had been in touch at that time. And now he is um, in Congress. So the youth turned out in droves. According to Tufts, 27% of voters age 18 to 29 cast their ballots in the 2022 midterms, the second highest youth turnout in the last three decades, with even higher turnout in some battleground states. And Zoomers were instrumental in battleground states, and Pennsylvania Gen Z delivered an overwhelming boost for Democrat John Fetterman, with 70% of voters age 18 to 29 voting for the progressive candidate in the highly contested Senate race says with 63% of young voters supporting Democratic candidates running for House and Rep House of Representatives and 35% voting Republican, Gen Z is the only age group that overwhelmingly supported Democrats. And I'd love to say I'm surprised by that, but I'm not surprised at all. Woo! Yeah, if anything, I think going into this, we we didn't think that the turnout would be quite so high for that age demographic because we were like, oh, they'll come out for the presidential because you have all right. the messaging on TikTok and celebrities saying go vote and all that stuff. But that didn't seem to be uh, as big of a deal or big of a campaign this time around or as much energy around it. And yet they still came and turned out in, in full force. Why do you think that is? Uh, there was a lot drummed up around this. I, I, I honestly was in the same camp. I was like, I don't think they're going to really come out. I'm like, I don't think they really know how to <laughs> mail in ballots. Sorry, guys. And I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, but I think there's a multitude of reasons. Of course, you had Roe v. Wade, which after that was overturned, so many young people started registering to vote just in the wake of that. And it was a major push. People started saying November was going to be Roe-vember. And there's that. I think Gen Z people and young people in general tend to skew left so that makes sense as well and that's part of youth idealism government-based promises and maybe uh an unjaded view of 
government and what they will do for you and a reinforced belief in government. I also think there was a lot of demonization of uh, the other side, of demonization of, of right-wing individuals with the don't say gay bill and the threat to democracy in January 6th. And I think there's a lot stacked against the favor of people on the right, particularly with young people, because it's easier to sway young people with emotions. Yeah, it seems so. And, you know, when we watching the the Young Turks segment we just watched, I mean, that's sort of a a slice of what uh, the left wing media is, is a lot of like boogeymanning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw someone I forget where I saw this, but just talking about how fear is a bigger motivator um, than anything. And if you're able to create this narrative of they're coming after your rights and they're bringing us back to 1960, like the Don't Worry Darling movie or whatever, mm-hmm. um, just on all fronts, if you're pushing this narrative uh, that just instills fear, um, then I think that that could be a, a powerful motivator that as well for for young voters. Yeah. And we also saw a lot of left wing politicians being very active on uh, social media and influencing uh, children that way. Children, I shouldn't say children, uh, Gen Zers that way. And I, I think that helped a lot as well. And really this new idea that young people have more wisdom than older people. Mm. I think that's been something that's been really present. I don't know if you guys saw this really viral ad that went out uh, prior to the midterms of these old white actors and actresses like staring directly at the camera and going, hi, Gen Z, you're not going to go out and vote. You're too lazy. And I'm going to vote in some right wing politicians because I'm old. I don't care about climate change. I'm going to die. And like, I don't care what your pronouns are. I'm 80 years old. And they made this huge ad and it went viral. And I think there's a lot of that sort of energy that we know better than the those who who came before us. And we are going to take up this new form of leadership. And to be honest, there's only one side of the aisle that is really, really empowering young people to be super vocal. And that is the left side of the aisle. Yeah. And it seemed like there was also just a general, I don't want to say apathy, but sort of like a overconfidence on the right side. Uh, would you, always what that, happens. yeah, and that showed up in um, like how much money was spent on some of these key battlegrounds, uh, but also just the, the general disposition was like, oh, red wave coming, guys, get ready, yeah. get ready for the shellacking. Because from our perspective, and we even talked about this before uh, on the show is that there were so many issues that were slapping you in the face and the approval ratings were there, but like, you know, with inflation and gas prices mm-hmm. and the school indoctrination and school closures and all these things were like so in your face that we just kind of assumed that that would be uh, enough to carry the red wave, but that that was not borne out. And I, I personally am surprised and, uh, you know, by, uh, the Gen Z turnout. And I'm mm. really interested. It's interesting to see. I think there's also just an undercurrent of political activism that's kind of at the core of like what's cool and yeah. what, what it is to be like, you know, uh, I don't know, just like a cool, informed person. It's just mm-hmm. like I'm part of this progressive zeitgeist and I, I get it and I know, you know, I'm following yep. the lead even more so than prior generations. So I think that's a big factor too. But it, it genuinely was surprising to see how big a swing. I think it was like 29 per points in favor of Democrats. Sure. The, the point about it being cool is actually a really interesting one. And it segues into this next tweet uh, from Sophie Kiana. She tweeted out, I'm 20 years old and I'm the youngest person to ever be an official United Nations advisor. Gen Z is finally at the decision making table. Um, and there's the picture that she posted. Uh, it says that here's here's some 
context here. Kiani is a member of the Secretary General's Advisory Group, a largely honorary ceremonial body. Membership on the SGAG is different from the UN offices of special advisor, policy advisor, or consultant, which are paid positions with functional responsibilities. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just we're just trotting her out there, but she doesn't actually have any responsibilities right, right. or say. She's or basically a, a United job. Nations influencer, essentially, is what this is, and it's a ceremonial honorary uh, influencer, which is why I believe somebody like zoomed in on her little necklace and it just says observer. Ah. <laughs> but of course, the internet went crazy because it said United Nations advisor, and here's her in this picture, and the outfit that she's wearing is questionable for visiting the United Nations. I know you're not supposed to say that now because that's taboo to criticize what women wear, but it's certainly not something that I would wear to uh, the United Nations. <laughs> Tank top and a mini skirt. But it's all right. But it does speak to the nature of just get get the Instagram and the Twitter photo and get the young people in there so we can prove we're talking to them and prove that we're with them. And that's where Gen Z is at right now. It's cool to be political. Yeah, I guess. And like, in a, you know, this is kind of a ridiculous example, but do you, well, I think I asked you this earlier, do you think it's effective um, for whoever the powers that be are that are like bringing these TikTokers into the White House or, or doing these collabs between Barack Obama and, and famous TikTokers and putting Gen Z influencers like this at the mm-hmm. uh, United Nations? Is it, is it working? I think in a sense... It, it is working. So in the sense that young people often harbor the complaint that the political establishment is so far separated from their lives, be it in age, in policy, what they care about. They say, you know, these old people who are sitting in politics do not care about anything that we care about. They're not even on the Internet. They barely know how to send an email, let alone make a TikTok. And if you have left-leaning politicians who are now inviting TikTokers to the White House or Obama appearing in a TikTok as he did prior to the midterms. It kind of proves that they have somewhat of a connection to what Gen Z is attached to. And if you are a Gen Z person who is going to go out to the polls and uh, place your ballot, which side are you going to feel more connected to? Probably the one you see on TikTok. Yeah. And in that sense, do you think the right or, uh, or conservatives are doing a bad job of reaching out to Gen Z? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, no, they we suck at social media for the most part. Uh, and it's a necessary evil to be invested in and using. So, yeah, very bad. Not relatable. It's just not relatable. And relatability is the currency of today's day and age. Mm. It really is. If so, yeah. only we had a young female... <laughs> conservative, articulate, smart influencer who is great at TikTok and could, oh, yeah, yeah. someone should give her a show and put it all over the internet. Hire me for your campaign. Can't, I'll be your TikTok campaign manager. Yeah, I mean, that's the extent of my my thoughts on that. We could do better at that, even though some people are like, I don't want to stoop to the level of the culture that we're in right now. You kind of have to. You're going to have this happen again in two years and then in two years and then in two years. So. Yeah, I think there's, there's another point here is that I, I think... We there is a conservative effort to to appeal to young people, but I think it often falls short because uh, we kind of have a bubble, and it's really hard to get out of that bubble. Um, right. And whereas the Hollywood or mainstream media will very easily platform Gen Zers who will follow the the mainstream narrative, um, but it's like an added challenge to appeal to people outside of the bubble. Um, 
yeah, and to, that are in that age demographic. And and I think that's something that we specifically try to do. And after seeing the, this this uh, midterm result results, I'm like, we need to redouble our efforts at, at reaching young people. And and uh, you know, if anyone's poised to to make an impact in the in this demographic, I think we are. And um, I, anyway, this this yeah. is just signaling to me that we need to push in even harder. Yeah, but I'm kind of over. I'm kind of over everything. Uh, one thing that I saw, like on mainstream media as I was watching uh, with the midterms results coming in, it was just how much money was funded for these campaigns and just the hundreds of millions of dollars that went into each state. And it just disgusts me to see it every single time. Yeah. And it makes me over the entire the entire system as, as a whole to see that you need $170 million to campaign to be a senator for your respective state is disgusting. And it should not be this way. It should certainly not be the way that we are running our systems. And it's happening on both sides, across yeah. the board. And it's gross. Horrible. I am relieved that we won't have to watch political ads, every single YouTube video, every single TV commercial for yeah. at least the next year and a half. Please. So thank God for Give that. Give us a break. <laughs> Give us a break from it. Now let's get into... Some TikTok conversations. And first, we're starting with John Green, who's talking about what happens when anybody can be verified on Twitter. Twitter's had a rough week. Listen, so I know most of y'all aren't on Twitter, which is great. I'm proud of you, but it's going amazing over there. Like, here's the verified Eli Lilly account saying, wait a second, is profit-motivated medicine bad? <laughs> and here's a verified account for Chiquita saying, we've just overthrown the government of Brazil. But don't worry, then later a verified account from Chiquita said, we apologize to those who've been served a misleading message from a fake Chiquita account. We have not overthrown a government since 1954. Oh my what else? <laughs> a verified Roblox account saying we're adding sex to Roblox with adding misspelled. And of course, here's a verified Nestle account saying we steal your water and sell it back to you. Lol. It's going great. And now they've canceled Twitter Blue because Twitter is beholden to advertisers who are being publicly shamed. And when journalists reached out for comment, they learned that Twitter no longer has a communications department. Don't join Twitter to enjoy. All right, let's pause there. So it seems to be uh, some bumpy, bumpy bumps along the road to uh, elevating Twitter up to, to the vision that they have it. And that makes sense to me. It was It's interesting to hear that the Twitter Blue seemingly did not have any sort of verification process attached to it. You can just pay the $8 and make an account for whatever you want to make an account for, which you think would be something that somebody would have thought about prior <laughs> to launching it. Yeah. And apparently it tanked a bunch of companies like stock by billions of dollars, these tweets. Yeah, I think like the Eli Lilly and company was down 5% or $20 billion. Yep. But my, my kind of hot take on this mm -hmm. is it's public knowledge that Twitter's going through this transition. Yeah. It's public knowledge that the blue check system's being overhauled and that could have a lot of volatility around that. So if you get fooled by one of these trolls that makes an account like this, that's that's kind of on you. Mm. Now, I do sympathize with the idea that, yes, this is probably rolled out too haphazardly. Yes, the way in which they're rolling sure. out this new uh, verification system is a little bit... Uh, unclear as to like okay are this you're clearly not actually verifying people i think now there's like a little official bubble under mm -hmm. under actual brands and stuff so it's like why does that <laughs> you just have right. a blue check now but right. it just speaks to i think this broader problem of like you know this trust but verify uh, ethos that that we used to have of like you can't it's the internet you can't take anything for granted on the internet and also the the, the old blue check system um gave false validation and false credibility to a lot of people who didn't deserve it and push things. So if you weren't already 
checking if you are uh, the the things that were being put out on Twitter by whether someone has a check or not. That's right. kind of on you. Yeah, they need to fix that though. But it is. It is <laughs> uh, granted, it's a mess. But I'm just saying. Yeah, right? yeah, I get what you're saying. Is that you have to be yourself as an individual and decide whether or not things are true or false. But 100%. it is sort of wild to take on the name of a freaking huge billion dollar company and just be able to say whatever you want to say with their name attached to it. That is wild. I feel like it's got to, I don't know, clearly it doesn't violate any laws because no legal action has been taken, but I have a feeling that legal action is probably going to be taken at some point. I don't see how you could lose billions of dollars overnight due to something like that and not try to find some way to hold somebody accountable for that. We'll see. Maybe Maybe. nothing will happen. It's just a a glitch. We'll see if the Twitter terms of service covers that. Right. (laughs) You sign your life away by making an account. But we'll see. Hopefully Twitter pulls it together. Next one. We're going to be asking ourselves a question. Can a guy you're dating like explicit photos of other girls on Instagram? Okay, let's... It's from Barstool. Hear this. Explicit photos of other girls on Instagram. Nope. Not a chance. What, what are we in kindergarten here with these questions? Yeah, that's messed up. <laughs> Might be some hey, colorful can language. A guy I'm dating just fuck other girls yeah. even though I don't want him to. I mean, what are we doing here? Wait, you're thinking liking an Instagram photo is the same as <laughs> having intercourse? Yes. What? Basically. No. Yes. If my boyfriend's out here liking all bikini pics, I'm like, oh, you want to fuck this girl? It's like a news. <laughs> okay. I think we got enough aggressive. of that. Uh, which is part of the course with Barstool. But think about this. Okay, so if somebody you're dating is liking explicit photos on the internet, and explicit we could use broadly. It could be bikini pictures. It could be Instagram thoughties on on the platform. Is it wrong or is it okay for a guy that you're dating to do that? We already know the the question is always framed towards guys because girls really don't do this for the most part. Girls are not like going and liking. You're not out there liking uh, boys in swimsuits? No. <laughs> no. This is not something that I do as Swimmers. a woman. Yeah, and I don't know many other women who oh, do Phelps. that. <laughs> it seems to be a guy's problem uh, that they like to like women's photos. You know, I have to think about this. Okay. On, on a base level, no. Not, not a cool thing to do. And it's certainly signaling to the girl who posted the photo, hey, I like this. Also, here's my username if you ever want to reach out to me, if you ever want to DM me, if you ever need a man, I'm really thirsty, is basically what it's saying. And if my significant other, if my boyfriend was doing that and liking other girls' photos, I wouldn't be upset about it because he's liking them and because he's showing attention to the woman. I would be upset about it because it would just make me view you as a weak like a lesser than man. What are you doing liking some random girl's photos on the internet in hopes that she's going to like reach out to you and say something to you? It sort of just emasculates the image that I would have of my boyfriend. Yeah, it's a very beta simpy type of move. Yeah. And uh, it's yeah, it's like either you're you're trying to send a message. I think it's just like uh, a very basic lack of of self-control there's like this weird like impulsive primal just i like must you know must tap screen to communicate that i like and it's like whether you're trying to communicate to her or it's just this impulsive thing or there's also just like you have to know in the back of your head this is like a a publicly visible action that i'm doing right so even if the girl doesn't see it it's visible to other people and that's that it's not a great look on you especially if you're like in a relationship it's just very thoughtless and again it's just have have a 
very basic amount of self-control to just resist that primal urge to like respond to an image in that way. It's so easy to not do it. It's so easy to not do things. You have nothing to gain from it. Right. So if you feel the need to do it, it just makes me view you as a weak man who's just completely at the the pole of these random hormonal feelings that you have, which is so wild. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, if you're single, then I guess there's another that's another story. But even then you shouldn't be like broadcasting likes to every single thing in pants or out of pants right, <laughs> as they say. Right, right. Uh, because it's just like cheapens your interest when you actually do want to show interest in someone. And I can see that yeah. there'd be room for like a tactical like if you're like trying to, you know, communicate with someone that you saw their picture or whatever like that's a thing but also so is not liking them and you know try, uh, right. do the steve harrington approach from uh, stranger things who says if you want to go to like you just treat her like crap which i'm not <laughs> endorsing i'm just saying like there's yeah. there's a, a thing there too uh, so i get that it's like part of the the whole dating cat and mouse type stuff but if you're in a relationship Nah, man. Yeah, I'm just like, first of all, my boyfriend doesn't have social media, which is the biggest green flag of the modern <laughs> age. A man who does not have social media is a man that you need to lock down. And I hear so many girls say the opposite. Like, oh my gosh, he doesn't have Instagram? That's crazy. Is he some sort of serial killer? Is he a psychopath? Does he not want to know things? Does he not want you to know things about him? No, girl. That's a green flag. Marry the man that does not have social media. Uh, but if I started dating somebody... And they had social media and I went on their Instagram page and saw that they were following like a hundred of these Instagram hottie accounts. Wouldn't even go on the first date. Would just be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm busy that day. He'll be like, we didn't set up a date. I'm busy whatever day (laughs) you were going to set up if I saw that on a man's Instagram. It's just so strange and weird and weak. it's, It's giving very weak to me. So, yeah, no. Just ask you guys in the chat, by the way. So put your votes in the poll. Yes. Let us know how you feel about that. Uh, We're about to get to Super Chats soon. Although I do have one more video here. This one is from uh, Pearl Talk, Just Pearly Things, on guys don't get traditional women. Let's hear it. Oh, is it a load? None of us in here can be considered traditional women. And back then, an average guy could get a traditional woman. And now what does he get? He gets a boss bitch, a boss babe, a girl that's been ran through. He gets an ex-hoe. He gets a born-again virgin. Like, what do this I is, get? As, as women, yeah. this is what, what do we get? We still get protection and provisioning. Are you sure? And I mean, okay, okay, but here's, here's the thing. The average salary could cover an apartment. And, but the thing is, like, women, we want this lifestyle that's not even realistic nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, we want men that make more than we do, and we want them to pay all of the bills. But it's like, we record, we all have our nails done. We have, um, we get our hair dyed. We have makeup. We have all of this stuff that costs money because we want this lifestyle. And I've had girls come on my show, and I say, would you, would you date an average guy for companionship, but you would have to go down in lifestyle? And they say, no, we're addicted to lifestyle. None of us okay. in there's a lot of different things said there. I'm trying to okay. So men she's saying women want a traditional man but men can't find traditional women anymore because what women aren't virgins and they are like what working and make money now. It's essentially the point that she's making. I guess and yeah, have all this expectation to be taken care of and stuff. Yeah, I mean the hair, the nails and the makeup thing, that's a non-point for me because women have been doing that for all of time. So that's non-point for me. That's not new to womanhood uh, in any way, shape or form. I can see where she's going with the traditional 
men don't have traditional women anymore but also are there traditional men like where are the traditional men at because i don't see y'all either <laughs> taylor's already taken taylor's already gone yeah they're, the good ones are married already. Yeah, right so so where are are they at <laughs> and the argument could be made that traditional women and traditional men of men of the past did get married and then those traditional men went out and cheated on their women with like secretaries and stuff while they were away at work so it's like uh, moves and counter moves baby trades and trade-offs this for, is just hard to respond to because there's is. so many like sweeping generalizations and right. it's not really like a there's no actual point yeah there's made. nothing to grasp yeah for it but i can see what she's saying is that women are asking a lot or expecting a lot of men and not giving much in return i can I can see that too, um, but I'm just trying to f find, you know, the the crooks of the argument. It's just a different day and age for women now. It really is. Uh, they're doing different things, and certainly, a woman who is going out, making money, providing for herself, is lacking what in her life? Maybe, maybe the protection of a man, of a masculine figure, and the prospect of having children. It's like the two things she's missing that a man can then provide for her. But it used to be that men would bring the money, men would bring the protection, men would make sure you have everything that you wanted, men would also give you the kids and all of that security. But now women are like, oh, we already have two things out of that package. So what else do you have? And I think that's a part of it. So it's a it's a hard conversation to just to just break down what do you think about the part about the women being unwilling to go down in social class for companionship for men i think it's true in a lot of ways i mean we watched a video on this show where they went around to students at arizona state university and asked them what salary they want their husband to make and the women were like two hundred thousand two million at least five million five hundred thousand <laughs> just like crazy numbers and maybe that's just youth shouting out numbers that you think are apt but they're not at all but i do think there's a standard there and it's probably because women are going out and making their own money so of course you want a man who makes more money than you make and you want somebody to you want to move up in status to get mm -hmm. married and there's this idea that i'm not going to get married if it's not adding something to me if you don't add something to my life then why are you in my life and i've heard that a million times now so a man has to be up in status and, and women aren't dating dating down to to find that yeah i mean men men are competing with each other in competence for like in as jordan peterson would say competence mm -hmm. hierarchies and women select men based on their ability to demonstrate competence because you know like even historically evolutionary biology would suggest like women are vulnerable during childbearing or social like when you have to care for an infant or being being pregnant for a period of time that makes mm -hmm. you physically vulnerable then there's like social vulnerability that after the fact of like you're not able to work as much if you're caring for an infant and all that sure. so uh all those those factors come into play where like you need to vet and test a man who's going to not abandon you stand by you etc and i think that also plays into the need for someone who's if you're already at a certain economic level you would the the, the competence test is like i need someone who's uh, on that level or above me right. um, i'm not gonna not gonna go down um just for for the companionship because uh generally speaking there are men lined up for uh a woman especially of i guess not necessarily of means but you know and a desirable woman and yeah they're gonna have a line whereas an incompetent man who, who's who's not of a certain status will not have a line of women for him. yeah i would love to read research on 
women's income and how it correlates to their marriage rates. I wonder if women of higher incomes just don't get married as often I'm as women sure that's of lower thing. incomes. I've, I've seen it with intellect, certainly. They said, like, for every uh, standard deviation you are above the average IQ, which is 100 points, women uh, drop in their potential or likelihood of getting married. So the smarter you are, the less likely you are to get married as a woman is because you're looking for somebody who matches that or is higher than that. In other words, there's fewer and fewer available men who can meet the standard that you require. Right, right. As you move up the intellectual ladder. And of course, women are moving up that intellectual ladder through education and uh, um, social social and cultural aspects that are telling them to, to value intellect at a higher rate. So that's interesting to watch. And I wonder if that correlates to income, because I would imagine if you are a higher intellect, you probably are of higher income. And if you're of higher income and intellect, you're going to have a lower likelihood of being married. Yeah. And I think that like modern feminism sort of pushes women into the rat race, so to speak, and pushes them into the competition for uh, the competence hierarchy mm -hmm. um, that traditionally they like uh, are the ones who dictate mate choice, who are standing by and letting the men compete over them. And now they're like entering into the competition with men um, for the same positions in society. So it it stands to reason that there would be fewer matches for you if you're entering into that domain of the rat race um, and beating other other men right. who would otherwise be out there. And, you, and you'd kind of want to be uh You'd be falling into the more traditional model. Yeah, that's a whole thing you could do uh, a whole talk about. Women do expect more and are putting up with less, I would imagine, at least young women now. So how does that affect men? Is it going to make men better themselves and strive harder in order to get women? Is it going to make men disaffected from the idea of even trying to get a woman? Is it going to create like inceldom across our, our country of just women saying, no, I'm not putting up with that. I want Prince Charming with a high income and a high IQ. I don't know what's going to go down, man. I don't know what's going to go down. I think we're seeing it. We're seeing the, the resentment kind of happen on both sides of like the, like we watched the Don't Worry Darling movie of, uh, that's all about the, the incel culture and then the feminist sort of resentment against that. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of creating this toxic cycle uh, that's fostering resentment between the sexes. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I, I think the two things can be true at once. Like women should be free to choose and do whatever they want to do, but shouldn't have this cult rigid culture of you're betraying your gender if you don't, you know, go try to be a man or what be a traditional man. And if you embrace traditional womanhood, that you're somehow lesser. Um, I, you know, that, that to me is just as toxic as, as, uh, the original overly rigid, um, stereotypes of genders and stuff. So I feel like the war between men and women, or at least as we know it today is really new. I would love to travel back and just meet women of the past and say like, do you really feel like you're at war with men on any given day? <laughs> because it seems like we're pushing this narrative that men and women have been at war with each other since the dawn of time and that men have consistently subjugated women since the dawn of time. And I feel like if we went back to like meet women from the 1920s and ask them, do you feel subjugated by men? in today's day and age, I wonder what their answers would be. Because I feel like it wouldn't be what we're seeing today. I feel like you ask a lot of women in today's day and age, do you feel subjugated by men in modern society? They would say yes. And I wonder if women back then would say yes to that. Because yeah. it just feels weird. It like, feels, no, feels like not true. You, you might think modern women feel more oppressed than 
uh, traditional women actually were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. And they just view back of like those 1950s posters of the honey, I'm home and I've got dinner, honey, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And they view that as being subjugated. I wonder if those women actually felt that way. Of course, you have like the Mad Men style TV shows with Don Draper and the wife and and she's at home taking care of the kids and making dinner, but she's just secretly depressed and withering away in herself by by being in the position that she's in. And I'm just curious if women actually felt that way. I don't know. We'll see. How do we how do you conduct that survey? (laughs) I don't know. I wonder if there's like old feminist surveys and things that they did back in the day just pushing for certain uh, women's rights and whether or not there was two sex of that. Because when you hear about the feminist movement and anti-feminists, say in the 1920s and then in the 1950s and the 60s, you only hear about the feminists pushing for women to gain, you know, the right to vote or uh, just have a different perception of their cultural requirements and their gender roles. You never hear from women who said, I don't like that and I don't want to do that. And actually, you guys are doing something that's harmful to me. Not necessarily with voting. We can talk about that in a separate uh, separate day. Um, I'm not coming out and saying I'm anti-women being able to vote. But I'm sure there were women who said absolutely not. And I wonder how many of those women existed. That would be interesting. Yeah. I wonder if they do exist. I'm sure they do. They, they had to have existed. There's no way that there was not one woman who looked at that and said, I don't want that to happen, actually. And I think we're good the way we are. There had to have been yeah, many. had to. Well, so we'll, we'll dive into that later. Uh, on a on a separate day. Let's get into super chats. Okay. We got a super chat from Chev Silverator. Says we need, quote, America first, end quote, Republicans in congressional leadership and reach out to young voters, which is what we failed to do. A 30 second TikTok can go a long way. Apparently. Apparently that really cringy TikTok that Obama showed up in went a long way. Oh, gosh, scary. Thank you so much for your super chat. MDCT says, thank you for the great show. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your super chat. And Paolo, I know to say your first name now, first name only. (laughs) Thank you for your super chat. We need to go to social media and make content to explain to the Gen Z that the leftist narrative does not hold up in reality. And we will end up governed by ideas we hate. Not pretty, but hey, democracy is not pretty. I think it would behoove us to start making those videos i'm already on it we're so. trying we're trying over here <laughs> i'm already on it guys yeah. you guys need to catch up to me <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah i think it would help us to be on social media instead of just calling it evil and saying we don't need to be on it and lastly sup my dude thank you for your super chat says how ironic is it that anna is armenian and she co-hosts a show called the young turks who perpetrated the armenian genocide truly boggles the mind yeah i don't know why the young turks is named the young turks i don't know like the history behind that name or uh, what the specific call uh, or symbolism it is with that. But if, yeah. uh, if it has anything to do with that, it might be a little bit ironic. <laughs> it's like, we don't know anything about that. We know. know about their ideas and we don't like them so, or, or their approach to public discourse. Yep. <laughs> and so that's about where it that's stops. That's all I know. Yeah. And those are the super chats for today. Guys, thank you so much for watching. We really appreciate it. And leave a comment down below. What should we have you comment is it okay for a guy to like explicit photos on instagram if so why if not why drop it down below and is it better for a guy to have social media or not at all or a girl if you're a guy dating girls or whatever whatever you like 
because uh, I don't care about your sexuality as much as Anna Kasparian thinks we do. <laughs> Guys, leave that comment down below. Please like, subscribe, click the notification bell to be notified every single time we go live. That's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. And we post every single day because we hustle over here at Unapologetic. Thank you so much for watching. And we'll be back tomorrow. Bye.